You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. I am super excited for today's episode. This is somebody I go way, way back with. Um, so as soon as Travis and I started talking about this podcast, I knew this was somebody I had to have on. Um, so I want to welcome Ali O'Brien to the podcast. She is Director of Revenue Operations over at Chief. Ali, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be talking with you both. So. Ali, I think you have a, a really cool story. Um, can you just give us a really quick, maybe 10, 20, maybe 30 second introduction to, to who you are and what you're all about? Yeah, I was worried for a second. You're going to go 10, 20 second or minute intro. Um, yeah, so uh, as Kevin mentioned, we do go way back because my background is actually in sales. Um, I started as an SDR, moved into account executives, account management pre-sales engineer, um, and then eventually came into the sales leadership role, managing business development and top of the funnel prospecting. Um, I did that for a little while at a couple of different companies, CV Insights, Global Web Index, Speedvisor, um, and eventually made the leap recently in the last couple of months to sales operations and revenue operations here with Chief, um, which is really exciting totally different products that we're selling and uh, just a different, different career entirely, but not really. <laughs> kind of, kind of sort of. Right. So yeah. I think um, what, what's interesting about this is for, I think twofold one, you know, a lot of the people that we've been talking to on the podcast, there's, there's definitely a sense of revenue operations taking uh, greater importance, uh, a, a bigger role in organizations. But I also think, Secondly, the jump from sales leadership to, uh, to revenue operations is going to be something we see, I think, more and more of. Um, you know, I, I think the, the, the obvious question is like, what inspired this, this leap or this transition for you? Yeah. Besides so, for having an amazing boss who inspired you greatly. Yeah, no, of course. I had an amazing boss who inspired me greatly. Spoiler <laughs> alert, it was Kevin. Um, that's funny. I would actually, you know, I, I will eventually turn that question back on you, um, both of you, Travis mm -hmm. and Kevin, and see why you think somebody might pivot from sales to operations. But um, hopefully your reason is the same as mine, which is just that you get to a certain point where you realize that you want to start affecting things differently within the sales process, whether that you want to start moving further down the funnel and inspiring closers. Um, you want to be managing the managers who are inspiring those teams, or it's that you want to be somebody who really influences and affects the process that a sales team top to bottom has to adhere by. Um, and that was, that was my reason. I had spent so much time in different organizations and in different industries with different teams working from, you know, marketing all the way through to close one. And I realized that there was a lot of opportunity for optimizing processes and really tightening up data. Um, when you talk about the digital sales pie, 
and kind of what's involved there. And you know that there's a different size piece and slice that goes to each team. Um, I really had taken bites out of the slices for sales development, for account management, for account executives. And the piece that I really had not sunk my teeth into yet was operations. And that was really where I wanted to kind of fill in the missing puzzle piece or pie slice um, on my sales career so far. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. And I'm so glad you bring up digital sales pie. Cause that's my favorite line of yours. What is that <laughs> y'all? Can you fill me in here? I, I can fill you in. So we did, when I was working with Kevin at Speedvisor, which was an e-commerce company um, for Amazon sellers, uh, e-commerce optimization, we did a recruitment video and I did this great hand motion, which of course, this is audio only, so you can't see it, but I was discussing a sales development position within the digital sales world. And for some reason, I decided to say digital sales pie with this fantastic left to right hand dance move. It was, um, it was amazing. You can Google it. It's, it's on, it's on uh, Google. To make it a TikTok dance for salespeople. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my. No, I love so, it. So I, I think, like I said, I think the, the shift or the jump from, from, you know, from sales to, to ops and, and vice versa, like, I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, I, I know firsthand there was definitely elements, and then I think I said this to you, where it's like, this makes so much sense, right? Like, you with a whiteboard and putting workflows and process and like uh, this was like to me this was like a no-brainer i'm sure there's things that you that when you jumped into it you're like yeah this isn't like this is what i i thought it was going to be and i'm sure there's also some surprises where you're like yep like wasn't ready for that can you give yeah. us one of those wasn't oh, yeah. ready for that moments oh yeah so i will say that 90 percent of it was like super refreshing, very, um, you know, like life affirming that I'd done this, I'd done this right. And this is exactly what I wanted to be doing. There was 10% that I was just like, oh, this should have been glaringly obvious that I was going to have to deal with this. And I don't know how to. So, and there are two areas that honestly were things that I needed to learn how to overcome as a sales leader. Um, and I'm seeing them now in a different light. And there, there are two of them. So the first one was change management. So when you come in, especially to an organization that may not have had revenue operations before, um, like I have a few times, but in my role where I'm actually affecting it, um, it's how do you talk to the people that have put the old processes in place that are being revised, revamped, or redone? Um, you know, how do you let them see that the adoption of the new process is the right process? And how do you maybe like marry what you think is the best process with, with what they have had in place so far? So that's number one. And number two is, um, this, is a, this is a technical skill, understanding sales operations, understanding a sales process, understanding a workflow. That's a technical skill that not everybody has. And so how do you take a step back and realize like, oh, this jargon, this process makes sense to me because I built it or because I've lived it before. How do I train somebody? How do I translate this into speak and language that somebody who does not have a technical background will understand. And for me, having the background of a salesperson, having the background as an SDR and a sales leader, I think that's helping a lot because I understand how to translate the process and technical jargon that comes with a CRM, that comes with an enablement tool into this is how you're going to use it day to day and implement it into your process. 
I said process a lot there and I apologize. <laughs> I, mean, I like process, especially when it comes to, to ops and, and making sure things are running efficiently and effectively. Um, and one thing that you, you said uh, kind of jumped out at me is like how to talk to the people that have been there historically in this legacy thinking of, well, this is how we did it before and this is new. So like, how, how did you kind of get across that hurdle of like explaining it to them? Like, did you get a cohort of people to, to, to practice on and then say, Hey, like, look, I tried it with these five and here's what worked or how could you talk to us about, you know, how you went through that possibly? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I should have done. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I should have done that. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to do that. Let's put it that way. I wanted to do that. Um, I came into an environment where about three weeks after I joined, we, um, we launched a new city and that involved a new sales process. And so I, I wanted that to be the case, but I didn't have that luxury of time to QA a whole process. So what I did was some very intensive um, shadow. I sat with the sales team. I picked apart everything. I asked all their questions. I I um, really dug down into what they were doing, why they were doing it, and then tried to connect the dots on the back end to find out, is there a better way to do it? Is there a faster way to do it? But I think the, the most important part of that process for me was being comfortable with some level of chaos and um, needing to QA the process live and after it's already happened. So knowing that we were going to launch it, it was going to go, and then things were going to break, things were going to freak out, people were going to freak out, and needing to be okay with changing in the moment, that was, that was really the, the thing that I did the, the most, I think, on this one, out of necessity. So that's interesting because you're, you're building new processes, right? And you're, you're now looking at it more from a revenue operations vantage point. But you've walked in the shoes of a salesperson, right? You've walked in the shoes of a sales leader. So now you almost have this like triple threat of building a really effective and efficient process that should, in a perfect world, satisfy all. Is there something that you're seeing from now your RevOps vantage point that sales leader Ali was wrong about, maybe about a process previously? Like, is there anything you look at and you're like, man, like from where I sit now, like I was wrong. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's making me a much better revenue leader. Um, I, I think, I think a big thing I walked away from, um, my last role with, with cabinet global web index. And when I asked actually my boss there at the time when I left, um, you know, what I should focus on differently. He told me some advice that I've come back to time and time again, which is to pick your battles. And I think as a sales leader, sometimes you get so laser focused on something that you kind of forget to take a step back and look at the whole picture. Um, But picking my battle as a sales leader in terms of like, no, this piece of data absolutely has to be in Salesforce. And then you get to the other side of it where you're the one managing your Salesforce and you're like, that really doesn't need to be in there. Um, maybe we can do that differently. I think, I think was big, but I might ask you guys, is there anything that Travis, you or Kevin have ever been like, I've fought tooth and nail with my operations team on this and I don't understand why this isn't making sense to them. So Travis probably is going to have a better answer than me. And the reason is because I'm usually, and Ali, you know this, I've been the operations guy too. 
right? So I've never yelled at myself. Um, you've yelled at me, but I've never yelled at myself. I have. Um, <laughs> um, so, but but I but I, I but I I think that this is a really interesting topic. So I, I think Travis, I, I'd rather give you the the floor on this one. Yeah, I mean. One of the interesting things, I guess, or experiences that I came across um, when I was at an ed tech company was they were pretty much clueless at the time for what an SDR needed in terms of fields to input data in from discovery calls. So it, it turned into this kind of let's just build what the SDR says they need. And in my head, I'm like, wait, 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 we're building custom fields for every single thing that I have to get from a discovery call. And I was like, that just doesn't make any sense. Like it, you're going to have me changing uh, lead stages. You're going to have me changing account stages all while I'm doing the call. And I'm only like, you know, six months into being here. Like you want me to do all this simultaneously. So um, one of the interesting things that they did was just kind of distill it down and say, look, like what are the, the key pieces of information? And it, it got to a point to where instead of trying to throw everything into the CRM, it turned into, okay, let's just focus on the couple of things that I need. Like what are the four things that I can't leave a discovery call without? And can we get that in Salesforce as a field? Like I only need four. I don't need the whole thing. I just need four. So um, having that conversation with the sales ops uh, managers, also with the sales manager, um, eventually we figured out like less is more when it comes to, you know, having places to input data for your uh, SDRs. So I don't know if that story is helpful. It's a, very, it's a very, very common thing where salespeople are like, I want all the fields for all the things. But it's also a rarity that people have the insight to be like, don't need a custom field for every single question like what's your first grade teacher and how did you feel about them when you get on the discovery call um, mm -hmm. but I think that's a, that's a good point to the fine line and marriage between what a salesperson needs to be prompted to get during the sales process which is a field in Salesforce that needs to be filled before you can move to the next stage of an opportunity for example versus what comes innately through team training through coaching through a good salesperson's development, I guess, as to the things that they just know they should be looking for and doesn't need to be captured in an opportunity. Yeah. And I think to your point, right, like less is less is more, especially when you're starting, right? If you, if you completely try to over-engineer a process and you, you know, you make it to a point where salespeople aren't getting the adoption, then, then you're going to struggle. But if you can start to build on top of that, you know, slowly but surely, you, you, you probably see the, the biggest adoption. Um, Ali, I'd like to get your take on this because this is a topic Travis and I have spoken about before, right? But I think when you're looking at, you know, adoption of tools, right? I think if you look at from a, a revenue perspective, there are more tools available today than ever before, right? Oh, yeah. the enablement tools, the data tools, I mean, it's just, it's endless. And I think a lot of companies are going to see various levels of adoption to those tools. And to, to me, it's not just about picking a tool that's going to fix a problem. It's, it's really focusing on the behavioral changes you need to get that adoption. Are there certain things that you're doing? Because I believe you've done some implementation of new tools since you've been there. Are there certain things that you've, you know, is that a topic or is that a component of this that you've focused on and seen success with? 
or is it something that you're still kind of working on? Yeah, that's a, um, one of my favorite questions. You know, I love to talk about tools. Um, I, <laughs> I've definitely been part of the implementation process. I've also been part of the offboarding process, which I think is not talked about a lot when it comes to operations and tools. Um, there are a lot of tools. And I think that sometimes companies, especially in the beginning, especially when um, they're looking to do a lot, of, a lot of different things with very few people, they look to bring on a bunch of different tools. And then sometimes you realize you've gotten a bloated tech stack pretty quickly. Um, so when it comes to evaluating your tools, it's really making sure that you know exactly what you have, what it's doing, and is there another tool that can be doing that as well. Um, sometimes it's hacking a certain tool that you're using to do something else that you can relieve that dollar amount from your um, you know, tool budget. But other times it's a matter of simply asking yourself like, are we trying to get too tricky here? Are we trying to automate too much? Are we trying to do something that we actually could just be doing at a click of a button somewhere else? Um, but yeah, being a part of an implementation um, a couple times over now, we've, we've brought on quite a few tools since I've been with the company. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. And just like Travis had mentioned before, like you have to have a strong QA process. You have to have a really strong scoping project uh, process. And understanding what everyone needs, what everyone wants, and ultimately what will drive the decision of, of tool A, tool B, or sometimes C, um, or if it's none of those at all and you can actually do it internally as well. Um, that's actually a question I think a lot of teams miss is there's, we have a lot of tool options for it, but do we actually need a tool for it or is this something that we can look at doing differently and a homegrown solution? Yeah, I, I'm, I guess, curious too with like the amount for necessity, right? And I also have been at a place where we only sold with phone and email, right? So thinking of like what we're given today to help sell, like what would be some of the like necessities for you that you can't live without? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Nobody knows where this is going. No, exactly where this is where going. This is going. Um, so there definitely are a lot of tools that are out there that are great and very helpful. Um, a couple that I will name drop are things like zoom info, lean data. Um, they're not need to have in my book. They're nice to have and, and can be really helpful. When you think about the tools that you absolutely need to have in your arsenal, I think it's important to ask yourself what activity are they going to be driving um, externally, internally? What are they going to be supporting? And is what they're supporting necessary and uh, a strong requirement for success within your organization? And if the answer is yes, then it's a need to have tool in my book. So um, I'll get right into it. I won't, I won't beat around the bush anymore about it. So my sales need tool is engagement tools, enablement tools, things that will allow your sales team to focus more on the personalization and less on the manual operation that comes with maintaining a calendar and a book of clients. And so for me, it's been sales loft. Um, it's no secret that I'm a absolutely huge fan of theirs, of their tool, of their team, of their community. Um, and having been an SDR that uses them, having been a sales leader that uses them, and now in my operations role, using them as well, 
you know, they really, they really fit the needs of a lot of different teams within an organization and really solve for quite a lot of, of gaps that are, I think, existing right now with most CRMs, notably Salesforce. Um, in terms of that, like, organization side of the sales development or a sales rep um, playbook. I love it. I, I remember... And as I'm thinking about like sales loft and outreach and all these amazing, amazing engagement tools, it's almost safe to say, like, I'm going to throw this out there. If you had to choose between one Salesforce or sales loft, what would you pick? I would pick sales loft. They now have integrations with Costello. So you can do opportunity management. They have a fantastic account based, um, account based marketing or ABM capability. Um, you know, they, they could be their own CRM if you maintained it really closely and didn't need a lot of, you know, fancy footwork in terms of, of reporting um, and manipulation of that reporting. But I mean, for me, knowing when I'm supposed to reach out to somebody as a salesperson and as a sales leader, knowing if my team is doing the right activity, that's imperative over everything else. Got it. So I, I think one of the one of the things that we're curious about and we're, we're talking to a lot of people about is, you know, if you look at revenue operations, you look at sales operations, it's sort of this function that it's still kind of new, right? Like, like it, it's been around for a bit and I think it's getting more and more of a spotlight shined on it with, with greater importance. But I think companies are still, there's not a definition to it, right? Like account executive, you know what that is. Um, do you, how would you define revenue operations? Yeah, if you ask my mom, I think she'd define it as a millennial job title that's not real. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have guru in it. So I think it's, I think it's kind of missed that mark. Or ninja. I think you're ninja, okay. Guru, um, rockstar. Rockstar, yeah. That's another one. Um, I would define it as somebody, you know, I might also add enablement in there into the revenue operations side. So revenue enablement and operations. It's building a process and optimizing that process and those tools that you use to better support your team from start to finish, whether that's marketing, sales, um, account management. It's somebody who comes in and, and advises on best practices, is a voice of reason when it comes to reporting or those custom fields in Salesforce, as Travis mentioned. Um, somebody who kind of can put the pieces together and knows how to bake a digital sales pie from start to finish, who understands what somebody at the top of the funnel needs and then how that data can translate all the way through to the, the end user and ultimately a renewal. So how do you connect the dots on the data from marketing to business development, to the sales closing team, all the way through to account management? And what is the, the foundational building blocks or blocks that support all of those different end users? And that's, I think, the role of, of revenue operations and sales operations. I don't know. How would you guys define it? Like, what, what have you wanted to see out of your RevOps or sales ops team? I, I think there's, and I think if you look at, again, I, I, it's, a, it's very broad right? Because the way I look at it, it's like, first and foremost, there's, there's a process for you to execute on. Then there's the measurement of that process and that the measurement of that process then dictates or, or indicates 
A, optimization, and then B, enablement, right? So if you can measure a process, it's going to show you your effectiveness or how good you're executing, which will then show you, hey, look, I, you know what? Our you know, conversion of our qualified ops is not where we want it to be, you know? And then it's a look back and a look forward, right? Where, what could we do to train maybe kind of executives to convert higher there? Maybe it's reevaluating what a qualified op actually looks like or when you qualify an op, you know? So I, I think the, the, it's, it's so broad, but I think the, the, the beautiful thing about it is that it pinpoints what's broken, right? And then it sort of gives you directional understanding of A, is it enablement and training, right? Or is, is a process broken? Is it not being followed? Um, that's how I would probably in a grand scheme of things explain it, but it's, it's, it, but that in itself is very, very vast. It's very big. Yeah. And I'd say the only thing I'd add is like, to your point of, um, efficiency and effectiveness, Kevin, like as an SDR, typically the major topic of conversation that I would have with my like sales ops and revenue ops teams is this is taking me too long. Like this is inefficient. Like I, mm. I can't say the number of times where I'm just like, how did we not get this fixed yet? Because it's literally taking, yeah. even if it takes me five minutes, if I have to do that across, let's say I'm a mid-market SDR and I have a couple hundred accounts, five minutes times a hundred accounts is 500 minutes. So I'm spending time doing things that could be fixed and optimized if we were just to get our process and systems down a little bit more efficient Right. And like, instead, I'm going to have to manually do these things. So um, for me, it's just been the thing of efficiency. So it sounds like operational efficiency. It sounds like surfacing kind of where the data breaks down and then building, you know, those, those tools and processes to support the sales team. It's a, it's a multifaceted approach that sales operations team, revenue operations team, um, and therefore enablement team need to have to be successful. I think once you start to trickle into the enablement side too, though, right? Enablement is also going to be about, you know, to an extent, voice of the customer. It's going to be partnerships with marketing, partnerships with product. Like they're almost this glue between sales, product, marketing, you know, and, and, and customer base that is sort of guided by insights from op operations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's um, definitely a partner. So, Ali, what what kind of advice? So, if, if somebody is, you know, a, as a sales leader, an in, individual contributing salesperson, and they're considering making the jumps to operations, what advice would you give them? Ah, that's a that's a tricky one, um, because I would start with, "Are you sure this is what you want to do?" But how do you, you know, how do you evaluate that? Um, the advice I would have is to make sure you really love data and you love digging into it and you love chasing a problem down and, um, and, and figuring, figuring something out. Someone gives you a brief and you need to really dissect it, figure out why they need what they're looking for. Is what they're asking for actually the best way to go about it? Um, is there a different way? You have to really tap into your analytical mind. And I think you need to tap a lot into your patience. And so if you are an analytical person who has a lot of patience, I think it's going to be a fantastic, you know, role and, and dive for you. Um, and then the other side of that is 
what's the end game? What's the end goal you're looking for next? You know, I always take my position and say, what is this a stepping stone for? Sometimes you don't actually need to know what the actual stepping stone looks like that's next. You just need to know that there is one and can you connect the dot um, professionally for what you want to do in the future. Um, but I'd say patience, analytics, and knowing that this is definitely a building block that a strong sales leader should have under their belt as being an operational leader as well. I, I think too, the, the one thing I saw in you, right, is because we've always worked for startups, scrappy type companies. Um, this, the, the sales leadership is also heavily defined in, or was the sales operations or the revenue operations, right? Um, and if you work for a type of company like that, you know, if you can insert yourself and get your, yourself involved in projects that may be led by sales operations, um, definitely do so. And then start to look at what are the problems you love to solve, right? Um, and if you're finding yourself just being super passionate and finding it so rewarding to map out problems, and as you said, chase, you know, identify what's broken and how do you fix it, um, and, and that's more passionate, you're more passionate, that's more rewarding for you relative than, you know, teeing up that meeting as an SDR, or closing that deal as an AE, or, or, or laying that next big account, I think that's also going to be an indication for you, as long as you're able to get that type of exposure. Yeah, I was, there's no surprise, I was a little burned out in my sales leadership, um, you know, next steps, I guess. Um, I had kind of hit a wall, I wasn't as passionate about it anymore. And I think, Kevin, for me, when I told you what I was going to be moving into, and you were just like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Your body language changes whenever you talk about operations. It did, I was yeah. Like, I didn't even realize that, like, my nerd was showing um, so much there. Uh -oh. <laughs> that I was just like, I, I didn't realize how much apparently everything changed about my personality whenever I talked about operations and you said it. And then when I told my team that I was leaving, they were like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You seem to get really excited about it. And I was like, I didn't realize that's super dorky of me. Um, but I'm telling you, there is, there is, <laughs> there's one meeting we had, Ali, that just jumps into my mind where we were like oh. diving into like cadence, effectiveness and performance and I think we were talking about like more of a sales related like topic, like a tough topic before. And you were like kind of down. I was like, but I need help figuring out like which cadences work. And you were like, let's go. Like, oh yeah. Like it was a total, total change. So that's when like, when you told me, I was like, yep, makes sense. Makes total yeah, sense. Yeah, you know I'm bad at hiding my emotions with that. <laughs> I get really excited really easily about operations. I mean, I'm just going to say for what it's worth, um, it takes a, a special individual to get excited about sales ops. And <laughs> I, I'm going to say that I'm, I'm also one where certain things, like I don't realize it, but like when I talk about problem solving and data and processes, like similar to you, Ali, like I get very, like the people that have worked with me, it's similar. It's like, oh my God, like you love whiteboarding, you love process and like, oh wow, like this is, I don't realize I get like this. So. At you least. probably shouldn't be in sales anymore, Travis. Mm. <laughs> Yo, Kev. Uh, but, what, dark uh, side. <laughs> yeah, but but I think but that's that's the theme here, right? And like I, I think and like I geek out over that stuff, right? Like I, I do big time. Um and I think that's kind of where the future's headed, right? Like I, I think as a sales leader or as a salesperson as a whole, you can't be a one trick pony right? Like you have to have like a wider understanding of how all this works. Um, 
and, and it's not it's not that traditional like head of sales like role that's just out there you know pitching networking and like taking clients out to get drunk like it it's fun but it's not it's it's evolving radically it's because not sustainable. of sustainable yeah it's not and everything around us is changing so fast as well that that role although important for some orgs is just not necessarily what's going to be needed yeah no i definitely see that yeah and and also one thing to add on that i think the the rise of like the consolidation and the efficiency with some of the things that you were talking about, Allie, like if you're able to have the revenue cycle spitting the company out um, growth, we'll use that number or excuse me, that word here, growth, right? Um, if you can be fueling positive month over month growth, whether that be from your community building or from your current customers or current members getting more from you, right? Like, are you creating more value? And if you're part of driving that wheel, like I, you give me a team of a two SDRs, like I'll tell you that we'll be able to make sure it goes faster and faster and faster because it, you set the processes up right to make it run as fast as possible with two people. Yeah. Well, that's actually, so that's a good question. I, I would want to ask you guys before, um, you know, we run out of time. How, how would you measure success for your team? You know, now that I've kind of switched sides, uh, and left the individual contributor side, left the revenue management side, um, and moved into the operation side, like I have a different perspective now as to how I would measure success. I'd be curious to hear how you guys measure success as a salesperson. Is it just hitting your quota? If you don't have a quota because you're a top of funnel person, like what does that number look like? I think for me, the the way I look at it is, it's sort of like when you were in elementary school and the teacher gave you a math problem, and you couldn't just get the math problem right, but you had to show your work, right? So for me, it's about conversions, speed, size, and volume, right? And if you're looking at those four things holistically, right, it's going to be able to give you indications on how effective they are, right? And then more specifically, where if you're, if you're not hitting numbers, it's going to allow you to then point to well, maybe if we switch this up, it's going to affect that, right? So I'm very much like an if this, then that type of approach. I think we're going to have to remove Kevin's CrossFit shirt and replace it with one that says speed, size, volume, and what was the last one? Conversion. Conversion. SSCV. Speed, conversion, size, and volume. Yeah, I can, I can see that working on you, Kev. Oh, <laughs> uh, wait, you're... Or he'll have to get a tattoo. How about that? I'm back. Okay, here we are. Um, yeah, or you can get a tattoo on you. Yeah, on Kevin, the, the... Travis and I have decided you're getting a new tattoo. What, say speed, size, conversion, and volume? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's it. Fine. But yes, <laughs> basically, though, um, yeah, I mean, but th th those to me are sort of like the four pillars of, of your efficiency, and that's what's going to help you dictate. It's going to show your math of sales. It's going to show you, hey, here's what I'm doing, and here's what it resulted in. Um, so it's, it's less about just vanity activity stuff, right? It's really about meaningful KPIs that show, you know, your input to your, to your output. So yeah. that's probably how I would, I would look at it. Yeah. I mean, mine's also kind of different from the typical B2B, right? Like I'm in the, the podcasting world and the consulting space. So, uh, for me, my, I guess like three key principles are, uh, friendship first, um, focus on connection, not activities, 
and everything is human driven. Um, so it's something that I chatted about a little bit of they're very uh, like to Kevin's metrics, conversion, speed, size, and volume. They're definitely on the opposite end of the spectrum for, but what I will say about them is this kind of goes back to having the processes down in the first place. Right? So if yep. Kevin, my leader teed me up for success at the beginning, as in he identified accounts that were in market for what I had and what I provided. He knew how to help me identify which ones I should be focusing on. And he also gave me the tools to succeed to do that. So this is before I even touch anything. Then if I only focus on making friends, if I focus on connecting with them, and if I focus on just being a human, everything else should just follow after that. Um, so that's actually super interesting. Like no joke. Like uh, when you first said it, I was like, what's he talking about? Right. But you're right. Like it, it makes a lot of sense. And if, 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 if you're set up for success foundationally, which as an SDR, like you shouldn't have to worry about the rest of that. That should be, that's, that should be done for you. Right. And if your focus is what, you know, like your, your approach and your strategy and how you're building these relationships, it should, it should all kind of fall into place. Right. Yeah. And I think I was going to say, I think that's my job to come in and say like, there's a human element to a sales process. There's a human element to business. And what's the process that supports the end goal, the speed, the conversion, the size of your deals, the volume of your deals that allows you as a, as a, as a salesperson to not have to worry about those things because your process is so well defined that you can really focus on the human connections, the friendships that you build with your clients um, and your you know, members um, in order to drive that growth. Yeah. And I was going to say one more thing to add on that. If we're talking about metrics, uh, I have drawn this connection funnel like all the way through just so you all can see. Oh my gosh. It's real. I love that your metrics, by the way, came with air quotes. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just because like some people be like, wait, you measure connect. No. Um, but like at the bottom of this, like if we're talking things to put somewhere, um, I have uh, new friends, new podcast guests, new opportunities, and closed deals. Like those are the four. Um, Interesting. Like, just that's your funnel. That, that's, that's what I was going to say. That's a different funnel. Yeah. That's a funnel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing, but it's, it's just how you define your funnel and your process. Yeah. And in that way for me, I'm like, Oh wow. Like if I look back and this is something that I'm snitching on myself, but to do more frequently, like, all right, well, how many new friends did you make? How many guests did you line up? How many opportunities were created and what deals were closed? If I ask myself those questions every Friday, like, and look back each week over week, like that should give me a good, pulse on like how successful I'm, I'm running my business. Yeah, that's a great point. So, so Ali, I know you're, you're a pretty social person on, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, and I think people, you know, people that know you, they know the things that you're like, you like, um, and, and you, you've got a big personality. What, what's something that people don't know about you? Um, <laughs> something that people don't know about me is that I'm actually an introvert. Um, I'm very socially extroverted, but I'm actually an introvert and, um, I really enjoy that slightly anonymous connection you can make over social media professionally now. Um, 
you know, I live for events, which is really weird considering that I'm an introvert. But one of my favorite things is that you can really begin to build connections and friendships professionally um, those ways over, over LinkedIn. Um, it, I thrive off of that and I really love it. I would say that that's a professional thing people might not know about me and a personal thing people might not know about me. Ooh, I have a aquarium. I, I, this is new. I have an aquarium and I'm raising shrimp and snails. You're not good. Okay. Wait. Kevin didn't know that about me and he's known me I, for a long time. I did not I know that. I saw him shake his head and I was like, wait a minute. Like Kevin is shaking his head and that means he did not know that. And did I'm not know happy. that. I, I did not yep, know that I, happened. It's called a shrimp tank. It's a thing. There's a community on Reddit. I'm a part of it now. This is new for me. And I've got, I, I've killed a couple of shrimp so far. So we don't want to talk about that. But so far, <laughs> there are still some that are thriving and um, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> you're you're now like a little uh, a shrimp mother. This is amazing. So I am a shrimp mother. Very cool. You should add that somehow into a LinkedIn like headline. Mom, figure it out. Figure it out. Um, before we kind of wrap things up here, uh, Travis, do you have any other questions for Ali? Um, honestly, like one of the things that I think we covered a lot of this stuff, but one of the things that I'm always curious about um, is what people are learning or what you're reading. Um, so outside of like revenue sales op things, like it can be revenue sales ops, something you learned recently or something to where you're like, obviously you just learned how to be uh, a shrimp mom, but um, <laughs> what sorts of things are you learning and kind of feeding your brain? <sighs> um, I mean, like practically speaking right now, I'm learning a lot more about cooking um, out of sheer necessity at this time. But um I'm actually, so I've taken on this revenue operations role without being um, Salesforce certified. And so I am actually going through my certification process to become Salesforce certified. And it's teaching me so much about how much more efficient Salesforce can actually be as a CRM. Um, and that is hugely exciting for me. Again, letting my data nerd show. Um, that I'm learning how to build formulas and become a lot more uh, dangerous in Salesforce. I like it, yeah. becoming that linchpin. I love it. Yeah, it's good, it's good. So Ali, any, any topics around the, you know, the rising importance of revenue operations that we haven't covered that, that you'd like to shout out or, or talk about? Oh my gosh. That could be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> part two. Part whole two. Another episode, part two is what you don't know that you need to know. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, and I've been involved in some other discussions about this before, and we touched on it briefly here, but I think stressing the importance of um, tech stack bloat and really being mindful of there are so many amazing tools out there but how many of them are really necessities? How many of them are nice to have? How many of them will actually make your team's lives easier and ultimately not contribute too much to the data in the end, which is still okay. But really evaluating the tools that are out there and the tools that you need, um, I think it helps a lot with data integrity, with data validation, and ultimately with end of, end of line reporting. Do you think a lot of companies realize they have an issue and purchase a piece of software or some type of tool to fix that issue, but don't 
understand the, you know, what it's going to take to adopt the tools? Yeah. Yeah. I think that some people look at things as a Band-Aid fix um, and either A, don't realize that the reason there's a problem is because people won't adopt a new process like that. Um, and so then you've just spent a lot of money on something that is completely pointless. Um, but yeah, I think before you buy a tool, make sure that you have an adoption plan in place and that you have buy-in from the teams that are going to be using it before bringing it on. I I've worked, I mean, as you mentioned before, Kevin, we've worked with some pretty scrappy startups and we've been very fiscally conservative in terms of buying tools. And so coming from a background of we have to make it work with what we have as opposed to being able to go out and buy a bunch of tools, I think was the best training I could have as an operations professional of how can I make this work with as little as possible. Um, but definitely making sure you have an adoption plan in place and you have your team in place ready to go with that adoption and that you also have the testing on the back end in terms of, okay, we've adopted. How are we making sure this is actually working and doing what we need it to do? It's amazing. Um, that's awesome. I, I love the insight. Um, and I, I love hearing like, just like the new things you're learning, right? Like it, it, it's interesting for me personally to see it. So it's awesome. Um, if, if people who are listening to this have questions and want to reach out to you and chat with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, or are you just probably, gonna be an introvert? Yeah, I'm an introvert. Don't find me. Uh, <laughs> you have to figure that out. If you're a good salesperson, you'll know how to find me. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty easy to reach. Um, you can message me on LinkedIn. You can comment on something on LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me, ally at chiefs.com. Doesn't help. My name is spelt super weird, but it's A-L-L-Y-E at chiefs.com. Um, so yeah, you can definitely reach out to me that way. Um, or I dare you to, I dare someone to find my phone number and text me because I know it's not really hidden. So if someone really wants to get a hold of me, there are certain people who know how to get it. And I'll give you a hint. It's not that hard. I, I'm like a cold caller's dream. You can find me. <laughs> Same. Easy, easy challenge, but I'm sure someone will, will accept it. So, um, <laughs> Allie, thank you so much for, for jumping on with us and carving out time out of your day. It's amazing to catch up. It's amazing to hear all the cool things that you're doing. Um, and yeah, we definitely going to have to have a part two on this one. Yeah, of course. Happy to do it. You guys are fun to talk to. Awesome. Thank you, Allie. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learn something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice. Day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time. <laughs>